Welcome to How Leaders Lead. I'm Kula Callahan here to bring you another edition of Three More Questions with David Novak. David, it's great to have you on the show. It's great to be with you too, Kula, and I'm really looking forward to talking about our guest that we had last week, Paul Servati, the CEO of Insperity. And the thing I love about Paul is he's obviously an accomplished business person. He built Insperity from the bottom up, and now it's a huge corporation. But what I love about him is that he's done it by being a very people-focused leader. I mean, he has always put people first in his organization. He walks the talk on that. And he's a big believer on, on making sure that you have diverse people in your organization and you create a culture where you all can benefit from each other. And I think as a result of that, he'll be the first to tell you that their company gets results year after year after year. In the episode, I mean, you can just tell by the way that Paul talks that he deeply cares about the people that he has the privilege of leading. And I so enjoyed this episode. So for those of you listening to this Three More Questions episode, definitely go back and give the Paul Sarvati full episode to listen because I guarantee you'll learn a lot and be inspired by how Paul cares for his people. For today, though, as usual, we're going to roll right into our three more questions for this edition of our show. Are you ready, David? Let's go, cool. Question number one. A key tenant Paul operates under is the idea that you hire people for their input rather than their output. He says he never views people as a unit of production. Instead, he sees every new hire's input and point of view as a way to elevate the organization. David, should every leader think in this way, or are there some roles that you have to hire strictly based on a person's potential output? Well, cool. I, I have a very difficult time differentiating the two because I think you've got to have input to be able to deliver an output you know, to be able to deliver the results that you're really looking for. You know, the way how I look at it is, is that, you know, you want to have an organization where everyone counts. You just don't want to see them as a number. You just don't want to see them as someone that's going to deliver a certain product. You want to see them as a person that can give you input, give the team input, and take your business to a whole another level. And I think that's why he thinks that's how you elevate the organization. I agree with him. But I, I tried to keep it very, very simple. You want an organization and a culture where everyone counts. And you value who they are, what they bring to the party, which can be your input. And then together, you can create the right results that you're really looking for, which is the output that everybody wants as, as an organization or a team. Question number two. Paul shares that leaders learn more from crashing and burning than they do from experiencing success. You ask him in the episode to share a story about a time where he failed fast a term that he actually reframed as learning fast. David, what's a story from your life where you failed fast and what did you learn from it? Well, I could just talk about my golf game. A couple of weeks ago, I played golf and I was ready to quit. I didn't think I could possibly play that bad. And there's nothing worse than playing not below your potential, but way, way, way below your potential. You, you, you can't even believe that this is this is you. You're having this out-of-body experience, which is terrible. So, you know, I just couldn't go to sleep that night 
without getting some input and some coaching. So I've, I have like four golf coaches that I've used in my career that I really respect a lot. And I sent them a picture of one of my swings on the range that said, please help me. What am I doing wrong? And they explained to me all of them. There was a commonality that came out, which was I wasn't turning properly. I wasn't, you know, I was just going straight back, but not turning my shoulders and, and, and really getting the leverage you need to hit the ball. Well, the next day, my partner and I won the gross, uh, and then we also won the net and uh, actually did pretty well in the tournament, this two-day tournament. But it was a time when I failed fast, but really went to, to learning so that I could, could really become a lot better. And another personal story is I'm a grandfather, one of the great joys in my life. And, um, you know, I like to kid around. Everybody that I know, I kid around and I tease. So I was teasing the granddaughters about who their boyfriends were and all this, and they just absolutely hated it. And they kind of just shut me out. And I realized very quickly that was off limits. That's not something that I'm going to do anymore. In fact, they don't like teasing, so I never tease them anymore. And as a result, I get a lot of great conversations and our relationship has gotten better and better. But I think the big learning there for me is you got to be empathetic. You got to really understand how you're coming off with other people. And then if you fail in being relevant, if you fail at, at being the kind of person you want to be in that person's life, you need to adjust in a hurry so that you can get back into the game. I love that you shared during your horrible golf day that you pretty immediately reached out for some coaching. I think when failure gets the best of us, it's when we aren't open about it and we fail in isolation. So I think one of the great lessons for me is when you make a mistake and when you do fail, get coaching and feedback quickly so that you can course correct and get back on your feet and not make those same mistakes again. I couldn't agree with you more, obviously, Kula, but I, I think that one of the things that get in the way of all of us doing this when we fail is pride. We don't really want to admit to ourselves that we screwed up and we don't want to admit to anybody else that we screwed up. And I think that keeps us a lot of time from adjusting and, and tailoring whatever we did to fail in the first place so that we can move towards more of a success model. So you got to kind of put your pride in the drawer, see the world the way out really is not the way you want it to be, and then adjust and then move on. The other thing is don't dwell on failure. Just understand why you failed. Get up on your feet again and, and do the right thing and do whatever you can to not fail again and just keep working at it because that's just part of life. Question number three, Paul's new book is all about making people's differences matter. In fact, it's actually called Making Differences Work. And over the past several years, Paul's been laser focused on making DE&I part of his company's DNA as opposed to just a siloed program that checks a box that every organization has to check. He describes his approach to DE&I as one that's values-based, culture-driven, and people-centered. David, what's your take on how companies today should incorporate DE&I into their organizations? I think DE&I should just be a way of doing business. It shouldn't be something where you have a department or a group working on it. You try to build a culture where everyone counts, 
a culture where you believe in every person and the skills that they bring to, to the party, a culture which knows that if the more different ideas, the more different perspectives, the more different people you have on the team means you're going to get the best possible decision uh, going forward. But it's the way how you do business. And one thing that I think that every leader should really be aware of is trying to build diversity and diverse points of views on your team. My know-how on what it meant to be a black person at Young Brands moved up exponentially when I had Alwyn Lewis as my chief operating officer. Alwyn was black. And the other thing that I learned is that once he got in that role, he found all kinds of people in the organization that had all kinds of potential and moved them up. And that was how we really improved diversity. So it's really hard to improve diversity and really get that balanced perspective if you don't have people on your team that can help really drive it. You know, I also had Ann Byerline on our team. She was our chief people officer. And, you know, she was really passionate about creating a work environment that was good for working moms and dads who, who had to really take care of their kids by themselves. And she was the one that really uh, put all the work in making sure that we had daycare centers at all of our restaurant support centers. And, you know, that wouldn't have happened without her perspective of being a working mom and the difficulty that's there. So, you know, I think, you know, when you get those different views on your team, you end up in a different and better place. And that that's really the key. You know, you don't want to chase numbers and statistics that we've got this and, you know, those are important to look at just to give you a sense of what your organization looks like. But that's not really what it's all about. What it's all about is getting there the right way by really seeking that diverse perspective that's going to get you the best possible answer. Well, David, those two stories you just shared echo Paul's sentiment around DEI, and it's that just make it part of your organization as opposed to having some program that you kind of force people to go through. Build it into the DNA of your culture. And like you said, your organization will always end up better and stronger and more cohesive because of it. And that's why the number one behavior that we had in our How We Work Together principles and How We Win Together principles is we believe in all people. That was principle number one. That was behavior number one. We we wanted everybody in our organization to believe in the potential and the capability of every person, no matter what color or gender they may happen to be. Thanks so much, David. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of How Leaders Lead. We're on a mission to make the world a better place by developing better leaders. And if you carve out a little time with us each and every week, we'll help you build the confidence you need to lead well. And be sure to tune in Thursday for my conversation with Dr. Mark Esper, the former United States Secretary of Defense. And he's got a great perspective on a number of issues that you're going to love hearing. <laughs>